Welcome. Good morning. Welcome to Keystone. As you can tell, I am not Brady Nemers, for I'm neither tall nor ruggedly handsome. I'm just short and me. So uh, my name's Ryan King. I'm so glad that you guys are here with us this morning. If this is your first time, I'm really excited that you are here. If you've been here before, so glad you're back with us. And if you're watching online, glad to have you guys from wherever you're coming from. So really excited for what we're digging in today. Um, I don't normally teach on the big stage, but when I get to, it's such a cool honor. And I'm excited for what we get to talk about uh, today. I was kind of given like the task of coming up with whatever I want. So you're welcome, you know? Uh, So I'm really excited about this though. So I find that this week of the year, like this one little week between Christmas and New Year's, it's like one of the weirdest times in the year. It's like like a parallel universe, kind of like the upside down from Stranger Things. Like I woke up on Thursday and thought it was Saturday. I was like, do I have to get groceries or I'm just going to try to make leftovers, make it all the way? You know, you're like, do I just take a nap all day? Productivity's down. Do I even show up to work? I was like at Mink 10, like the sushi place on Wednesday night. And I was like, man, it's such a good weekend. And I was like, I was all messed up, right? I don't know if you guys can relate. Like this week is just kind of weird. But what's cool about this week is we have so much more time, I feel like, or at least space to think about and process this last year and then kind of look forward to what's coming up in the year ahead. And what I noticed when I started thinking about the last year was I kind of started thinking about the highlight reel, like all the big events that happened. And I don't know if you do this as well in your life. You think about, you know, the goods and the bads that happen and then kind of a accumulate them together. So I brought a couple snapshots of what my last year looked like. We went on a bunch of summer surf trips. This is our West Virginia trip. It was incredible. Um, Our students are amazing. These are our Dominican Republic students that went. We have our middle school trip that went to Wisconsin, which was also really incredible. Uh, This last year, also, my grandma passed away. So we are in Canada a lot more, kind of traveling back and forth. That's where my family's from. This is our young adult group. We did a ton of crazy things. This is on one of our retreats. Our middle schoolers went on a retreat, and that's, we didn't tip, but it looks like we're about to. Um, And that was a good one. This next picture is really good. This is my, uh, I went to Turkey and this is like my sexy outfit. So I was like, "Mm," you know, working it. Uh, So I went to Turkey, which was insane. I got a dog, I pet a dog, and then I ate a corn dog, which was all really good. That corn dog was not, was beef. Don't worry about that. And then I taught on the big stage during the summer, which was insane for the first time. So it's been a crazy year for me. And I look back on these events and a couple more, and I pull them together, and I look at this year, and I think about, was the year good or bad, depending on these big events? And there's other factors, friends and family, finances and health, that kind of add into what makes up a year. But what's interesting is when you think about these events, there's more that goes into it than just the event itself. There's a concept here at Keystone that comes up every once in a while and that I absolutely love hearing about around the New Year's time because it's a great reminder and it's a great way to think about the New Year. And it's the concept of compounding minutes. You may have heard this before. Essentially, this idea is it's not what we plan to do or what we hope to do with our time, but it's what we actually did. See, it's the idea that all the little increments, all the very tiny minutes of your day-to-day life really do add up to determine the quality 
of your life. Here's like a, a basic example. So if you have a smartphone, um, there's a function, iPhone added it just recently because they're always behind the game. Um, that is, that, I have an iPhone, so I, that's just like, I don't know if you're a tech person or if you, you even care. But anyways, it's called screen time. And essentially, in a week, it keeps track of every day how much you're on your phone. And then it will average your time and tell you how much time you're on your phone every day. Now, some of you may feel rising anxiety because you've turned this function off on your phone. Well, I'm a millennial, so I'm okay telling you this, and you can judge me because it's bad. When I first got this, the first week, it told me that my usage was four hours and 30 minutes for every day. Like, I know, right? Some of you are like, that's horrible. Some of you are like, what? That's not even a big deal. I felt bad, and this is what gets worse, is it tells you where that time's going, and the pri- like, my primary like, app on my phone was Pokemon Go, right? <laughs> And I'm, I'm being 100% serious. And it was like Instagram and Spotify in there. So I was like, we need to make some life changes here. You know, so deleted Pokemon Go. I'm still recovering from that. Um, but I've, I've actually, this last week, I was at two hours, which I'm pretty happy about. So I'm pretty proud. But here's the thing. When we realize where our time is actually going, then we can start to make changes in our life that will positively impact us or that we actually want to have in our life, right? Like, I didn't want to be on my phone four and a half hours. So Pokemon Go, how to go? You know what I'm saying? Um, but I think this is such an important concept, but there's something that I think is missing because compounding minutes will tell you how you're living your life, but I don't think it necessarily tells you why you're living your life the way it is. So I created my own concept um, that I think is really cool, that's very unique, very original, and it's called compounding love. Instead, it's really nice. And it's kind of like science and like hippies came together and had a child. And now it's called compounding love. Um, But let me explain it to you because I actually think there's some power in this concept. And I'm really, really excited to talk about it. Because here's the thing. Rarely, when we actually look back on our 2018, our, our years past, do we think about those little moments of love that we not only received, but that we gave. And we use those instead to define our year. Rarely we do that. And I think that actually it's those little moments of love received and given that make our life worth living. A couple of examples of that. I mean, it's, it's the small things. It's actually slowing down and making eye contact and truly listening to somebody. Maybe it's taking on the little bit of extra workload because you know that a, a, a fellow friend or somebody that you're working with is going through some struggles. It's taking the time to do math with your student, even though math has changed completely, right? It's all these little things. It's opening the door. It's being kind to the people in line at Meyer because those lines take literally your whole life, right? It's all of these little moments in life these little moments of love that I actually think can change our life. And this is where I was thinking about this talk. What if those moments of love, instead of being random acts of kindness or just kind of infrequent in our life, what if they became so frequent that if they were to compound over time, they were the very things that defined the year? Not the big events, but those little moments of love. And the big question I was thinking about for this talk was this, what would it look like if we prioritized love over everything else in 2019? And I'm not talking about like that, like, like, that like, oh, just like love everybody or like you wake up and every, like every day is a good day and there's a silver lining. Like I'm talking about like nitty gritty, sacrificial, hard love. And I think that's the love that Jesus lived because Jesus lived love loudly. 
and came back to the topic. I need to make sure I fit that in. So there we go. Jesus lived love loudly. Now, I hope you guys had a great Christmas. I hope that you're able to enjoy your time with your family and friends, that family drama was limited, and that instead you're able to just have joy and and hang out, and it was a great, great time. But I really do hope you had a moment to come together to celebrate the child that was born, Jesus Christ, who is God on earth. And, and here's the thing. If you come to church just on Christmas or Easter, which, which is okay, I think you get some really powerful snapshots of who Jesus is. But I, I believe, I think those moments can change you. But I really believe that it's the life of Jesus that will change your life. Because what will actually start tra- transforming our lives is the life of Jesus. And that's where we're going to go a little bit. We're going to look at the life of Jesus here. And we're going to be in just one part of the Bible today um, in the book of John. So if you have a Bible, if you have your phone, or you like doing that kind of thing, we're going to be straight up in John. It's going to be a good time. So John was one of the original disciples of Jesus. He was an incredible man. He was actually the oldest living disciple of Jesus. And he wrote one of the four gospels or stories of Jesus's life because he actually lived and breathed and walked with Jesus. And being the fourth gospel, I think he adds so many really cool and unique things into his gospel. Things that he wants people to know because all the the, uh, Mark, Matthew, and Luke have already been written. So he wants to add a little bit there. And I think he, he has some really interesting things to say. And I think one of the most compelling, and that's where we're starting today, is his very introduction to who Jesus is. Because John starts with a poem kind of mixed with a short story. And the inner you, the inner high school you might be like, not poetry. Please, Lord, literally, no, not poetry. But we're going to dig in. It's just a little bit. It's a little abstract, but it's going to be good. So John starts his story of Jesus, his account of Jesus like this. He says this, and John 1.1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God in the beginning. So what we know here is that John is referring at like, like the word is Jesus here. Like a lot of scholars now know that very much the word is Jesus. So in the beginning was the word or Jesus and the word or Jesus was with God and the word or Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the very beginning. And we kind of know this is Jesus a little bit more because just a few verses later in the same poem short story, he says this in 14 here. Um, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So that's like Jesus came here. That's the story of, of Christmas. He came here, he made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory. So John is saying, I have seen him himself, the glory of the one and only. And now he's referring to God who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, I think a lot of us kind of get this. Like we kind of get like, all right, like Jesus was the son of God and Jesus was God and and we kind of get this. But this was something that like kind of just clicked for me when I was coming in together for this teaching. And I really love, can you flip back just to the last, uh, the the one where it just has a lot of the word in it? Um, Because here's the thing. I think John specifically uses the word like here for just even a practical reason. Because I think he's, he's referring to like the word as in the beginning of Genesis, which, which is cool and very scriptural and very, very neat and spiritual. But I think there's a practical application here because a person's words, though distinct from them, are the embodiment of their mind and will. I think when, when somebody speaks, quite literally, that is speaking about their identity and who they are. 
So for me, when I, when I hear this, and I think John is making this argument that Jesus being the word, Jesus, his very life being the word directly reflects the identity of who God is. And again, I, th- I think we get that, but I think that adds a little bit of power to what's going to be happening in John's story. Because here's the thing, we get that, but if somebody was reading this in the ancient world, that would have blown their mind. That the very identity, John's saying, hey, I'm arguing that this one man represents the very identity of the one God. That's big news to those people. And I think it's big news to us as we study Jesus's life. Now today, I'm not digging into any one story, super hardcore. We're going to kind of do a flyby of a ton. But if you want like a cool challenge for the new year, new year's resolutions, you should read the book of John because there's some incredible stories in here. And what we're going to see in the life of Jesus, and this is why I wanted to bring this up, is that he was love itself in so many different ways. So if we dive into the book and we're looking at John 4 right now, and I'm just going to throw a lot of stories at you. So just, you can just put on the seatbelt and get ready for some story time. So here's the thing, John 4, Jesus, this is a story of the Samaritan woman at the well, if you know this one. And Jesus goes to the well at the middle of the day and a Samaritan woman approaches him. And this was shocking because one, women do not talk to men and Samaritans do not talk to Jews and women do not gather water in the middle of the day. But this woman approaches and Jesus just starts a conversation. And and that doesn't sound too radical or crazy, but this this woman is everything that Jesus is not. Because we find out that her life is just full of brokenness and sin and hurt and pain, right? But he still engages in her and offers her hope and love and grace. And it's an incredible story. And she goes on to tell the people of her town about this man because he took the time to talk with somebody who was not even like him, who was far beneath him. The next chapter, we see Jesus healing the unhealable, healing the unhealable. And the, the cool thing about this is Jesus is willing to touch and interact with the people that he's, again, nothing like. He's willing just to, to heal and be with them and spend time on them. The next chapter, John 6, we see that Jesus feeds the hungry. From what Jesus has, he gives to those in need. Right? And, and even though he does it in a miraculous way and feeds 5,000 people by multiplying bread and fish, he sees a need and he meets it right there. And it's so incredible. And then the last story that I'm going to fly by here is my, one of my, like, probably my favorite in the whole Bible. And it's in John 8. And it's the, the woman caught in adultery. Adultery? Adultery? Adultery. Either one, she's doing some bad stuff, right? And, and, and here's the thing. The religious leaders have this woman. She's been sinning. They throw her at the feet of Jesus. And she says, Jesus, this is a sinner. And the law says that we should kill her. What do we do? And I love Jesus. He just throws down so hard. He just goes, whoever is blameless, whoever is perfect, can throw that first stone at her. And they all peace out. I love it. He gets them right. Like these are the people that were supposed to be perfect, right? We're supposed to be blameless. And they all have to leave because they know the truth of what's in their life. And then this is, I just love this part so much. When he talks to her, he offers her two things. Because he first asks her, is there no one like to judge you? She says, no one, Lord, recognizing that he is still there. And he predominantly offers this first. And I think there's something we can learn in this. He offers grace first because he says to this woman, he says, then neither do I judge you. Neither do I condemn you. Ah, 
You know, the first, he sees her, and again, she's nothing like him. The one person, if he's God on earth, he's the one person that could judge. She's, done, she's lived a life that's against God and against him, and he says, neither do I judge you. He offers grace. And then what's so incredible is he, he, he's fully aware of who she is, and he just says, then go and live a life without sin. Then go and make the choices in your life that you know you need to. The reason I want to talk about all these stories is, again, I think just the, the life of Jesus is full of events and accounts of just love being lived. And sometimes when we're just reading through that, we skip by that and, and, and we miss out on just the simplicity of love being lived. Because here, here's just the thing that I think is incredible that isn't specifically said. Jesus is inconvenienced over and over in the Bible, people approaching him, people talking to him, people arguing with him. And every time he responds with love in an incredible way. And I think there's something that we can learn from that, that we can learn from being inconvenienced. Because sometimes Jesus chose that. He chose to talk to the woman at the well. Sometimes he didn't when the woman caught in adultery was thrown at his feet. But he was always willing to be inconvenience. Now, here's something that I tell my students that I think is very powerful and is very convicting, or it really like resonates hard for me because it rings a lot of truth, I think, at least in my life and I think here in West Michigan. And it's the idea, uh, throw it up here, it's that comfort is one of the greatest deterrents to our faith. That comfort is one of the greatest deterrents to our faith, one of the greatest deterrents to an active and living faith. Because I think in our comfort, we're not willing to be inconvenienced. In our comfort, we're not willing to step out and see the needs of those around us because then that would take time from our day. And our time is valuable. Like that's just a reality. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And our money is valuable. I know you guys work very hard for it. I work very hard for it as well. But comfort is the greatest deterrent because comfort fights the active faith that sees the person in need and takes time for them. I think in 2019, if we allowed ourselves to be inconvenienced more, not only like by just people in general, but by choice, we would have a faith and a joy that is greater than anything we've experienced thus far in our life. I really think we need to be inconvenienced more, which sounds horrible, right? It just sounds bad. And, and here's the thing, like here's the pushback that I get from a lot of this too, is it's like, all right, like we look at the life of Jesus, but wasn't Jesus God? Like, isn't it a little bit easier for him? Like if the bar set at Jesus, I'm probably going to fall short over and over again. And I know that because I continue to fall short over and over again. So if the bar is set at Jesus, at the miracles and stepping out, I mean, he was willing to be inconvenienced. He, he knew all these things, right? He's God. But I think the problem with thinking in this way is that we set perfection above love. That's why in the beginning I said, when it comes to compounding love, it's the nitty gritty and it's the sacrificial. Because our goal as, as Christians or our goal as followers of Jesus is never to be perfect. It's not to come into this place. I mean, Keystone epitomizes not coming in and pretending to be perfect. It's, it's, it's coming in and, and being love, right? It's coming, it's going out into the world and it's being love. And this is, why, this is why I know this is true is because there's an incredibly powerful moment in the book of John when Jesus, they're at the Last Supper, which is the famous, like all of the disciples are together. Jesus is hanging out with them. This is just before he is going to get um, like 
crucified the next day, like captured and, and all these crazy things are about to go down. And there's a statement in there that I think is the defining characteristic of who we are as Christians. And it happens in John 13, 34. John writes this to us. He, he keeps track of this. He says, so this is Jesus talking here. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He rounds them up. It's like the gameplay, like the football things are happening. And the coach brings them again. And he says, a new command I give you. And I want to stop there because I think we can go over this really, really, really quick. But if Jesus says a new command, I give you, the only person that ever gives new commands is God, right? But John made the argument that Jesus is the word of God. So when Jesus says a new command, I give you, that's God talking to us. Because I don't think it's just to the disciples in that room. I think this is a message for all people who wanted to follow Jesus from there. And he says this, new command I give you, love one another. I love it because it's so simple, right? Love one another. That's the mission. That's the command. That's all of this Christianity and, and Bible summed up. Love one another. And Jesus flushes it out a little bit if we get confused. He says, as I have loved you, so you must want, love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Oh, I love it. Because I think every single day of my life, I can find my purpose right in this little passage. And if, if you believe in this God thing or this Christianity thing, or if you're just exploring this, I think everybody should be able to get behind this. The idea that we should love one another in the same sacrificial way as Jesus. We're not Jesus, but I think that we can achieve that level of sacrificial love. See, and, and this is why I love this. This is why this resonates with me. So about a week before Christmas, I was just having a rough go. Like it was one of those mornings, I don't know if you guys can relate, where you're in your bed and you got your blankets and you wake up and you're like, I don't know if this day's worth it. Like, I don't, I don't know if I want to go throughout this day. And, and it's when all those thoughts start to hit you. The morning is my worst time usually. It's when all those thoughts hit you. And, and, and for me, it was this, this purposelessness. It was like, where am I going in life? Like, am I even good at my job? Am, am I a positive member for my family and my friends? Like, am I making an impact? Like, do my friends even care about me? And, and, and they went on and on. And it's that spinning, racing thoughts that just descend. And all of the responses were negative. I couldn't, in my mind, think of anything positive. And for some reason, this idea shone through the light. And it's not like groundbreaking or insane, but it was the reason that I got up that next morning. And it's our big idea today. And it's really simple. It just says this. Every day is an opportunity for love. See, here's the honest thing. It doesn't matter if your day is going to be good or bad. That day is an opportunity for love. Because when I was sitting in that bed, I started to think about the people in my life. I had a lunch set up with a friend I hadn't seen in a while. I was meeting up with some students later that day. I was going to encounter some moments with, with my family, right? And there's all these people I was going to encounter. And as I was sitting there in my bed, and I, and I had this thought, each one of those people deserves some sort of love, right? From me, from God. And I had an opportunity to do that. I had a responsibility, I felt like, to do that. And maybe it might be imperfectly, but it was it was my job, right? And that gave me purpose for that day. And I think that can give you purpose for your day as well. Because like, here's the thing. When you put love, like Jesus' love at the forefront of your life, I think you're going to know what you need to do. Like if you're in an impossible situation or things are hard, 
but you put love at the front of it, you know sometimes that what you're going to do. You know what you have to do. And sometimes that's going to hurt. Sometimes that's going to be a whole big old dose of humility, right? Like putting love at the forefront will always show us the path of how we should live our lives. And sometimes, and this is one of my favorite things to say, a lot of the times, the hardest things are the most worthwhile. And that's why I believe loving is the most worthwhile. So in wrapping up here, um, we're going to wrap up with where John ended his book, um, which I think is really, really a cool ending. It's uh, 2031, the very last thing John writes in his book. And it says this, it's really sweet. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose, and I love that, like I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Oh, I love that. And obviously it's probably a little bit of allegory, but he's saying like, hey, I just wrote about all of these things in Jesus's life where he showed love, but Jesus did so many things. I can't write them all. Not even the world could fit all of them. And as I was thinking about where John ended his, I was thinking about my next year. I was thinking about my whole life, right? That this would be a really cool end to my life. That if I lived a life so full of love that not even the whole world could contain all of those stories, right? If my 2019 was actually full of those compounding love moments, those little sacrificial bits that make each day worthwhile, then not even the whole world could contain those stories. Now think about if that wasn't just me or just you, that was the people in your row, that was this church, right? What would the world look like if in 2019 we lived into that love that we had an opportunity for every day? I'm really excited for what's ahead. And I hope this is a message of hope and encouragement for you to live into this next year. And I hope it's challenging. I hope it's hard because the hardest things are the most worthwhile. Um, If you would like to stand and pray, I'll send us off. Dear Lord, I am so thankful to be here right now. I'm thankful for this day. And God, I'm thankful for the next day, even though it hasn't come. And I pray for all the people that are in this room that, God, we can wake up every day with a purpose. And and I know every day is not going to be good. Every day is not necessarily going to be bad either. There's just going to be some normal days in there. But the incredible thing is that every morning we have an opportunity to live that day loving the circles of people around us, loving friends and family, loving hard and weird people. And God, I'm just so thankful that you give us that choice to live into. So I pray as a church, I pray as a group of people gathered together that we can live into the love that Jesus showed us every single day. I'm excited for 2019, God, and excited for what you're going to do here at Keystone and in this world. And we pray these things by the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you guys so much. I hope you have a fantastic New Year's and uh, we'll see you in 2019.